Good morning, Connect. How's everybody doing? Good? Good, 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 good. Welcome all the online viewers, our cable viewers, and of course, everybody here at Connect. Let's give it up. Come on, let's give it up. It's good to be in the house of God. Amen? Amen. Phenomenal worship. We're getting ready to get in the word, and I'm excited to deliver this word. I have a confession to make. Uh, I am highly caffeinated. It's been one of those messages where I've had to study feverishly. I'm trying to put an entire series into one message, so uh, get ready to take notes and jump in with me right away. Is everybody ready to go? So we're in the continuation of our series, Just Ask, you, you Asked For It, and, and, and just as we talked about kind of in the beginning of the whole series, uh, we're not going to go to Google, we're going to go to God. We're not going to go to Siri, we're going to go to Scripture, right, to try to find the answers to kind of life's most common questions and Week one, we talked about stress. If you didn't get that message, it'll help you a ton. Uh, last week, we talked about purpose, very practical insight into purpose and how to kind of get inside the guardrails and rumble strips of God. It's a really cool kind of analogy. If you didn't get that, you want to get that downstairs. And today, we're going to talk about this whole subject, are we living in the end times? And this is something that comes up uh, almost every year. Um, we hear this, and uh, you hear it in, your, in the world today. You, there's always some... Uh, leader or uh, a supposed prophet who has uh, who is professing or promoting uh, a prediction of some sort where they believe they know when the end will come when that we are you know in our final days or they know the actual day and things like that is always happening and uh, we're going to show you a lot of pictures and graphics but the there's this guy that was just not too long ago that was promoting and predicting the end of the world his name was Harold Camping Harold Camping was a radio evangelist. He had millions of followers. Um, this particular individual promoted the idea that on May 21st, uh, yesterday of 2011, the world would end. <laughs> and so that didn't happen, obviously. It actually was his second prediction in his career. He said in 1994 that the world would end as well, and it did not happen. But he claimed on May 21st, 2012, at exactly 5.59 p.m., uh, Christ would return, and uh, judgment was coming, and uh, millions and millions of dollars was uh, spent to promote this prediction. It got a lot of media attention. I want you to see a video, really, just so you can see how wide-scale this was. Here it is. Billboards proclaiming imminent doomsday are popping up all over the U.S. Judgment Day is at hand, according to a Christian radio preacher in California. If 90-year-old Harold Camping's Bible-based calculations are correct, you shouldn't be making any plans past Saturday, May 21st. On May 21, there's going to be a terrific earthquake, way, way greater than anything that the earth has ever experienced, and that'll be the beginning of Judgment Day. Camping's followers are spreading the word. Some have quit jobs or school to prepare for the end. Camping believes that only a tiny percentage of humanity will be swept up to heaven on Saturday. As for the rest of us, well, I'll see you in hell. We have no plan B. It is going to happen. You know, the Bible is a very factual book. It has given us example after example of when God has predicted something, prophesied something was going to happen, however, however impossible it might look, it always has happened. Except when it hasn't, like the last time camping predicted Armageddon in 1994, and nothing happened. 
He says this time his calculations of biblical dates and the Hebrew calendar have got it right. Leaders of various Christian churches denounce Camping's campaign as heresy. Most Americans don't seem very concerned about Apocalypse Now. Uh, they want people to freak out about it, and I don't believe it whatsoever. I have no doubt in my mind that uh, I'm going to wake up on the 22nd of May and have a wonderful day. But what it is to me is that people that believe this are completely insane. No, I live every day like it's my last, so no regrets, you know? The preacher says he feels sorry for the scoffers. I've been called every name in the book. I've been called Satan. I've been called the man of sin. I've been called a false prophet by experts, and, uh, and it doesn't bother me in the slightest because they just don't understand it all. Camping and his followers plan to spend what they firmly believe will be their final hours praying and watching the destruction on TV. Rob Reynolds, Al Jazeera, Los Angeles. One particular follower of Harold Camping, uh, its name is Rob, Robert, Robert uh, Fitzpatrick. He got a lot of media attention as well because uh, he used all of his life savings, $140,000, to promote personally this apocalyptic outcome that he believed was true. He was seen in Times Square with hundreds of people around him, cameras on him. You can look it up. It's, it's there. And, and they had a big countdown, and uh, he, was, he was mocked, and he was uh, jeered, of course, as that time passed. Uh, he was disillusioned, but not discouraged, and they adjusted their date, believing it was still in 2011, but supposed to happen in October. Of course, October came and went, and that didn't happen. Um, these are the kind of things that we are seeing in our world today. You know, uh, people are thinking things like this. People are promoting things like this regarding the end times and the last days. In fact, there's always somebody that's done the math or, or cracked the code, and they can see things into the scriptures that nobody else could see, and they purport or promote uh, these notions. In fact, in 2013, another individual, Jose Luis de Jesus, or de Jesus, if we want to really... Uh, you want to pay attention when you have a last name like DeJesus uh, because, just kidding. We have a pastor whose last name is DeJesus, um, but just kidding. But Jose Luis DeJesus, uh, he claimed uh, that he was Jesus on the earth, that he was the man Christ. Uh, interestingly enough, this is what blows my mind, he also claimed he was the Antichrist. He believed that uh, he promoted very different notions, even uh, communicated that it would be um, in the best interest of Christ followers to take the sign 666 upon themselves. He believed there was a different interpretation of that and that all of humanity had got it all wrong on that. And uh, he had millions of followers, which again, hashtag wow, I don't know how that happens. But uh, Jose Luis uh, died in 2013 of alcohol abuse. Uh, Harold Camping died. Uh, he tripped and fell in his house and had complications in the hospital. He also died. And it made me think of a scripture that I was reading a couple of nights ago. It's not in your notes. But 2 Peter 2, 1 says, but there, were also, but there were also false teachers among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, <clears throat> even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So sometimes you can just hang on a little while and you'll see what happens to these particular things. Recently, there's a new kind of uh, promoter of these ideas, Pastor Ricardo uh, Salazar. Uh, he's kind of been promoting things in particular as early as 2013. He claims that World War III is imminent, that China and Russia will unite against the United States, uh, defeating us. 
after that, he believes that uh, an asteroid will hit the earth shortly thereafter. 1.2 billion people, he has prophesied, will be killed or destroyed. He also believes that the Antichrist will emerge as the leader of the known earth in 2020, four years from now. And in 2023, Christ will return. And this is the kind of stuff that's going on literally for centuries and, 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 and on and on. We're seeing these kind of uh, testimonies or testaments come out. You see it, it's influenced our culture in so many ways through media with the movie. Uh, I remember one that I watched 2012 that it was uh, based on uh, the Mayan calendar interpretations that on December 12th of 2012, it would be the end of days. Does anybody remember that movie? Uh, so this is the kind of things that are out there in our world today. You see, uh, uh, you hear about these Nostradamus predictions, and we could spend a lot of time on that kind of stuff, um, the predictions and the people who make those predictions, but we need to go and see what the Bible has to say, amen? And so let's turn in our notes to Matthew chapter 24, or in your Bibles, and let's see something. But before we look at the scripture, I want to give you a very important, if this is your home church, this is important that you pay attention to this big idea, and I hope you grasp it. There's two big takeaways I want you to have from this message, but this is one of them. Here's the big idea, is that your perspective will affect your position. Your perspective will affect your position. I will unpack that. In other words, the way you view something is going to determine your position on eschatological, that means end time happenings or occurrences. There are a lot of end time eschatological positions out there. I will present the most common one that I lean towards, but in the end, I believe your position is affected by your perspective. And I believe Jesus gives clear clues and views that will help us focus on the right things, not the wrong things, because there's a focus you need to have, um, not just a detail that you need to have on the end times. In Matthew 24, uh, inside this chapter is a subtitle called Signs of the End of the Age. And Jesus gives his best explanation of what we can expect. While he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, his disciples ask him a personal private question. Here it is in verse 7. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They knew he was going to leave and come back. What will the signs be? Notice his first response to their question is, watch out that no one deceives you. His instruction wasn't an answer to their question at first. His first instruction was, pay attention. There will be people who will try to deceive you as to how this should go down, how it will go down. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, like this one pastor did, and will deceive many as this one particular leader did. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not, what, alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. That means it's going to be after that. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Listen to this. This is so key to your position is to have the perspective that comes from Jesus' own words. All of these are the beginnings of what? Birth pains. Everybody say birth pains again. So this is so key. Now, let me start by just saying you have to admit that, that if you look at Jesus' description of the signs of the end of age, that we are, they parallel to a lot of the things that are happening in our day today, yes or no? Yes. Clearly, they do. If you just watch the news, you can just go, oh, my gosh, look at this. The acceleration, accentuation, the, the, the extremes that are happening in our world today are higher than ever. 
I mean, we have earthquakes, uh, you know, uh, by percentage globally increasing more than any other time in humanity. In fact, in Haiti, uh, not too long ago, there was an earthquake, a 7.0 earthquake, uh, de- devastated Port-au-Prince there. Um, there were 52 aftershocks, 230,000 people died on that day. Another picture of an earthquake in Japan. Uh, this took place in 2011. Uh, you'll see the devastation of one of these roads. The earthquake was a 9.0 on the Richter scale. Uh, it unleashed a tsunami that affected the entire world, uh, twisted, you know, people, uh, roads, and devastation all over the world. There was a tsunami in 2004 in Indonesia. It was on December 26th. Some of you might remember this. Two, there was a movie based on this. 230,000 people died. This particular uh, ocean earthquake actually uh, um, they, scientists determined that it actually shook the entire planet and moved the whole planet a half an inch on that particular day. This is a scientific fact. It's unbelievable. Uh, so we've seen earthquakes and, and tsunamis as a result. Uh, then you have famines. There were the, just one that we can mention is the famine in Somalia. You'll see a picture here of where uh, there's a feeding taking place. There were 300,000 children uh, starving, and this is taking place even right now. Uh, tremendous famine on the planet. And when you see these type of natural uh, calamities and disasters happening among us, it definitely makes you wonder. It makes you say to yourself, are we living in the end times? So the question is completely relevant and understandable. In fact, some of the um, problems we're facing today, they're not natural. They're actually man-made in, in, many, in many cases. In fact, we've undertaken certain war initiatives as a country, in particular in two major countries, Iraq and Iran, right? where we see in the Middle East uh, tremendous um, a, a conflict. We are in, the Middle East is engulfed in conflict. We've had around that area uprisings in places like Egypt and Syria and Libya. And then when you add to that uh, the, the, the tinder and, the, and lighting of that with the, um, the, the, the emphasis and growth of radical Islam, in particular ISIS, you'll see a picture here of some of the things that we are facing today in our country with uh, Christians uh, 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 being um, you know, persecuted and even killed. It's a crazy day. But the thing is, it's not just in the Middle East. In fact, I personally believe, and I think many of you will, will agree with this opinion, and I like to dif- differentiate at times, but, but this, all, this all changed at 9-11 in our country. Since 9-11, I don't believe, I don't believe ever, things have ever been the same, and I'm, I don't believe they'll ever be the same again, because this isn't exclusive to the Middle East. We have, we have uh, the fear of, and we have uh, activity in our country that is uh, very um, difficult. We have also, in, in places like England, riots in England, but also in our, in our own country. So you have earthquakes, and you have famines, and you have uh, wars, and rumors of wars, and then you have economic Concerns. You have, we, we've had in our own country, the most affluent country in the world, near economic failure uh, with needs for bailouts and uh, fear of what some people call the double dip or, you know, the market crashing and things like that. And, and when you and I see this kind of global turmoil, in particular when it hits financial institutions, which is kind of the idol of America today, is this what Jesus was talking about? Is this, is, what, is this what he's referring to? In fact, the text we just read, we can check certain boxes that these signs of the end of the age are here. Wars and rumors of wars. Check. Right? Nation against nation. Check. Famines in the land. Check. Earthquakes. Check. All those things that Jesus was telling his disciples in a private conversation are there. And the key is, what do these signs signify? 
And, and he says in verse 8, look at this with me again. It says, all these things are the beginnings of what? Birth pains. In other words, look through the lens of birth. Birth doesn't bring death and destruction. Birth brings new what? New life. New life. Not death. So that's a fill in the blank, I think. The end of the world is about new life, not about death. Now, I want to give you a perspective that is so critical to your position on eschatological events. And I'm telling you, I'm not smart enough for this. The Holy Spirit helped me with this, and I labored about this. Uh, and that word is the operative word, labor. But um, imagine, I I've been to hospitals many times as a pastor, hospital visitations, praying for people and things like that. And your experience is a lot of times determined uh, by your perspective. So I go into a particular location of the hospital, and you'll hear a lot of times, many times, you'll hear people wailing, crying, in agony, and in pain, in turmoil, and in trial, right? Anybody been in a hospital, you know what I'm talking about. Now, if you go into a certain room and you look up on top of uh, the entrance to that room and it says emergency room, that's going to affect your perspective on all that you hear and all that you see. Is everybody tracking with me? But if you go into a maternity ward, you look up into a maternity ward, you will have a 100% perspective change even though you hear all of the same kind of sounds and see some of the same kind of situations. I hope that sinks in. Your perspective will affect your position. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, all these are the beginnings of birth pains, okay? And so God, he, he, Paul is trying to, uh, and, and Jesus, you'll see Paul in other scripture, and Jesus is trying to encourage us that he is in the process of making all things new. If you believe in your posture, your perspective is that, that, that America is just limping along, that he's, God is just going to come back and he's just going to take us all to hell in a handbag, and, and Jesus is going to return and just send everybody to hell, and it's doom and judgment, you're missing it. Jesus, you're missing the point. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is near, and these are the beginnings of of birth pains. There is a labor that is taking place in our world today. And the problem occurs for us and others when we begin to focus more on the process, okay, than the destination. We particularly obsess about uh, uh, timelines and sequences, but people uh, who make calculations and predictions are missing Jesus' big point. I'll say it again, but people who are focusing on predictions and calculations are missing Jesus' big point. Yes, Jesus is going to return to earth. That promise is there for us in verse 30. But he's saying uh, that he is going to gather the saints from the four corners of the globe, and he's going to take us to be with him in heaven. But nobody knows when. Matthew 26, uh, 40, 44, 36, excuse me, says, but about that day or hour, no one what? Not even the angels in heaven, not even the son, but only the father. So I don't care what well-meaning person you are. Harold Camping could have loved Jesus, but he doesn't know more than Jesus. And Jesus doesn't know. And there are no exceptions to knowing the day or the hour of his return. Can I have an amen out there? And so that is why Jesus told us instead, don't focus on the predictions and on the, the preciseness of the dates. Instead, we should be ready. Matthew 24, 42 says, so always. This is your best eschatological two-word philosophy. Be ready. Turn to your neighbor and say, be ready. Keep watch, you could say, because you don't know when the day of the Lord will come. So here's your, write this in your notes. Our job as Christ followers, as believers, as the church, is not to make predictions, but preparations. 
You're not here to spend all your time making predictions, but to make preparations. If you look through the lens of the earth is in labor and Jesus is coming back as the groom for his bride, you will think prepare the way of the Lord. You will not think predict when the Lord will come back. And so we are to prepare for his return. That is our assignment as a church. We have a role and responsibility that is exactly the same as Jesus on the earth. And I'll show you that in a little bit. But what did Jesus do? How did he live when he was on the earth? He would heal the sick. He would care for the poor. He would feed um, the hungry. He would uh, share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is coming. He would make disciples. That's our job for his return. To prepare for his return. Is everybody with me out there? So we must engage, you know, uh, not escape. We must reach others, not you know, hide. All right? Everybody's quiet here. So, so I think we don't focus on the now. I think this is in your notes, the sequence. But later, we focus on the later, the eternity. Don't focus on the timeline because time is short. Make the most of it now. Not in fear, but in preparation and love for what is to come. You love people into the kingdom. You don't scare them into the kingdom. Matthew 24, 44, uh, sometimes people get this wrong. It says, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Expectation for a pregnant woman has a nervousness and scariness, but it is subordinated to the excitement and anticipation of life that is to come. This is some really good preaching right now. I just want you to know that. So, so, so change your perspective and you'll have a different position. Here's a big word, but eschatological contractions are supposed to stir us to on-earth compassions. You are, when you start thinking about this, this birth pains that we are feeling, it should make you want to get ready and prepared. When we were getting ready to have a baby, we started to make ready the rooms in our house. We started to get, make ready for a guest that was about to come. We started telling everybody and putting out birth announcements about a birth is coming, a birth is coming. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do with the return of Christ. Amen? But people say to me, Pastor D, and I used to say the same things. I believe in this Jesus. I believe in him. I, I, I totally believe that. But all this rapture stuff freaks me out. I get it. I can remember when I was a young man, um, uh, not very long ago. <clears throat> and uh, I remember in the 70s, uh, that's dating myself. I was zero. No, but I remember in the 70s. Watching this particular movie about the rapture of Jesus Christ, it was called Thief in the Night. Anybody help me out if you, if you remember this, Thief in the Night. It was a high-budget film. No. Okay, I'm going to show you a clip on that in just a second. But there was this girl, and her name was Patty. She was married. And basically, she wakes up to this alarm that goes off in this radio announcement that millions of people have just simply vanished from the planet. And she goes looking for her husband, and he's not there. Check out this clip, and you get to kind of get a little picture of how scary it might be, but in a real old way. <laughs> Check this out. <laughs> Thanks to YouTube. Coming from all over the globe, confirming it as true. <laughs> To say that the world is in a state of shock this morning would be to understate the situation. The event seems to have taken place at the same time all over the world, just about 25 minutes ago. Suddenly and without warning, literally thousands, perhaps millions of people just disappeared. New eyewitness accounts of these disappearances have not been clear, but one thing is certainly sure. Millions who were living on this earth last night are not here this morning. Speculation is running high that some alien force from outside our system has declared war Jim. on the planet. And some feel it to be a spectacular judgment of God. The United Nations. 
Bruce, and I quote, Of course, even if it is something like the rapture, we need not panic. The very fact that we are here and able to discuss it is sign enough that it is not all-inclusive. End of quotation. The event spoken of in the Hebrew Christian scriptures is described somewhat in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 and on. And Jesus Christ is reported to be the speaker. And he says, and I quote, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Back then, that movie was scary. I know it's not to you guys right now, but it used to scare the, scare the bejesus out of me. I mean, I was petrified. You know, my greatest fears in life were, were kind of being, you know, uh, left behind, which is what that whole thing was about. And, and, and I was trying to, you know, you know it's like I don't want to miss it, you know. And, and I can remember, like, coming home after school many, many times just having this kind of ungodly fear. And I'd come in the house, Janelle, Mom, Dad, are you there? You know, oh, phew, phew, you know. <laughs> And my sister was like a real goody two-shoes, so every now and then she'd hide, you know, and, 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 and we'd have conversations sometimes, and she'd be like, oh, you'll definitely be left behind, Derek, you know, that's for sure. I had a buddy in, I had a buddy in elementary school, we used to like write notes to each other on our locker, and, and uh, one time he left a note, you know, Jesus, is, Jesus has returned, and you've been left be, you know, and, I, oh, you know, and then he'd be behind the locker, so it's psych, I'm just kidding. So... I, I, those kind of things used to freak me out, and, and what happens is we complicate things because we're looking at the process, and we're not looking at the destination, where we don't have the right perspective about what is to come, and, and so what I want to do is I want to oversimplify, and this is an extreme oversimplification for some of you intellectual types of a very complicated subject, but I want you to go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and, and Paul is addressing a church just like you and I, and he's basically talking to Christians who understand and believe that Christ is going to return, but they are confused about it, and they're also concerned about those that, that believe and have gone before them, those that have died but were believers, and they want to know what about them, what happens to them, and so Paul comes in 1 Thessalonians 4, and he kind of introduces a prophetic timeline and a sequence for us to be able to understand, and he, and he does one really big thing. So there's two things I told you I want you to understand. One, that your, your, your perspective will affect your position, but the second thing I want you to be able to do is differentiate between two major events. If you walk out of here and you get those two things, then I've succeeded. So here's what's going on. In 1 Thessalonians 4, there are these four basic features of the rapture, as it were, or the end-time process. From verse 13 and 17, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed, or your Bible may say ignorant, about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. He's talking to believers who have no hope. The hope we have is in Christ. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is the gospel. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, that's those who remain, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. I'll explain those two words in a minute. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. There are four basic parts. They're all going to begin with R. Can you imagine that from Pastor Derek? Okay, so here's the first part. He will return. He will return. Verse 16 tells us, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. The rapture promises that Jesus will return to us and he will take us to be with him. He will return and he will be uh, personal and also visible to us. You may say, and people have said, how will I know or will I miss it? You can't miss it, according to Scripture. It's going to be very loud. If you think the music at Connect is loud, get ready for that day. In other words, it's going to be so loud that it will wake the dead. That's how loud it will be when the trumpet begins to sound. This verse is clearly about the return of Christ. The confusion comes in between two distinct events the rapture, and the second coming. So now they're going to put a graphic on the screen, and I'm going to kind of unpack a very simplified prophetic timeline of how this is all going to work, and I think it's going to clear up a bunch of stuff for some of you. Now, the first coming of Christ, if you look at the far left of this graphic that is coming up right now, you will see that Jesus came down what we call the first coming of Christ. This is referred to theologically as the incarnation. God became man, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among men. This is the incarnation. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. It was a miraculous experience. He lived a sinless life so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for humanity. Then he got on the cross and he died for the sins of humanity, past, present, and future. And then he rose on the third day. Then he revealed himself to many and then he ascended into heaven. That's the first coming of Christ. Everybody get that? That's already happened. Now the second phase of the timeline is known as kind of the birth of the church, the birth of the church. We enter what many refer to as the church age. We are in that now. It's approximately 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to now. We have been in the church age. The church now, since Jesus is gone, becomes the physical representation of Christ on the earth. We become the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. Is everybody tracking with me? We are his bride. He is the groom. And so we are doing his work on the earth as the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. And then what happens after that, what we talked about in this next slide, is where the confusion came in for the Thessalonians, and I think it's where it comes in for us. This is what we know as the rapture, the rapture. Now, the, now this has a bent towards what we call a pre-trib uh, theology, which I'll come back to that in a little bit. But what you can see in the rapture is there's a little hook there. Basically, Jesus never touches down on earth. He comes to receive his bride and calls his bride to him, but they meet him in the air, and then he takes them back. Jesus never touches down on earth. He comes to earth and meets people in the air. He comes down to meet us and take us to be with him. Imagine what that day will be like. When, 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 when churches are emptied all over the world and the church is suddenly, you know, just captured and taken to be with him. But the part that I want you to see right now, though, is the scripture refers to us, the church, as the salt and the what? Light, the salt and the light. Now, salt and light both have responsibilities or role. The salt is to keep things from decaying and the light is to, is to eradicate darkness, when salt is gone and light is gone, then the world will begin to decay and fall into darkness, which leads us to our next step in the prophetic timeline, which is known as the tribulation. 
The tribulation is a seven-year period. This is a very this is when people begin to freak out and get a little bit scared because there will be a time of catastrophic global upheaval on the earth. At the culmination of this tribulation period will be a great battle, the battle spoken of in the book of Revelation called Armageddon. Armageddon. There will be a huge war. In the middle of this war, Christ will return with his bride. He's not coming to get his bride. He already received his bride. He's coming with his bride to establish his kingdom on the earth. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Okay, and so when he comes, he will come to uh, rule and to reign. He's coming with a sword. If you read in Revelation, I, if I was, you know, really had more time, I'd, I'd preach a whole thing about how he comes out of the eastern sky on a horse, you know. It's amazing what's going to happen there as God releases him. But when he comes, he comes on the earth to rule and reign, and this will be known as this time, the millennial period. This is a thousand-year reign on the earth. Uh, this period is known as the millennium. And then after that is known as eternity. This is when we'll be with God forever. This is an oversimplification of what we call a prophetic timeline. But the problem that most people have, and the problem that I want to emphasize is, we get the rapture and the second coming mixed up. And this is the confusion that Paul wants to address. And Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about that. So understand this. This is my this is my interpretation of this. There are no remaining signs until we get to the rapture. None. None. Nothing needs to be fulfilled for us to be raptured. It could happen anytime. Anytime, anytime, in my opinion. But there are signs still leading up to the second coming of Christ. We are in that wars and rumors of wars phase. We are in that nation against nation. We are in that famine time. We are in that earthquakes increasing on the earth. There are signs yet to be fulfilled. So Matthew 24 is dealing more with the second coming and 1 Thessalonians is referencing the whole time but making a distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Is everybody with me? So Jesus is saying to you and to me as believers, don't freak out, don't panic. These are all birth pains. So what about those who have died before me and knew God? Let me answer that question. Number two, we will be resurrected. We will be resurrected. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Thessalonians tells us. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep. Everybody say, fallen asleep. Just don't do it here. Turn to your neighbor, poke them, okay? Paul, listen to this. Paul doesn't use the term dead, and you never see... Christians referred to as dead post-Jesus ascension. In fact, the terminology changes. In fact, the term that is used is fallen asleep. After Jesus was resurrected, never again would you see a disciple who died referred to as dead. You would see, you see Lazarus, for example, when Mary and Martha said, come pray for my, my brother. He, he's, he's only asleep. When Stephen was stoned, he went to sleep. It's just so powerful when you think about this, but the idea that when Christ was resurrected, uh, he defeated death so comprehensively that this term death is now temporary. Wow. Oh, man, I don't know if you can ponder what I just said. So, so, so a new term has emerged, and it's asleep. And it comes from the Greek word kormaterion. It's where we get the word cemetery cemetery okay it means a resting place in fact um this may seem a little weird but sometimes when i study i go to a local cemetery it might be a little weird but while i'm there oftentimes i'll walk around and i'll see you know the headstones on the different uh locations where people have died and almost always you see r.i.p which stands for rest in peace right that term r.i.p comes from this scripture 
Kormaterion, or asleep. It's basically saying that believers are asleep. They are not dead. Is everybody tracking with me so far? And so what happens theologically, and this is what we believe as Christians, is that when people who have gone before us who are believers die, the eternal part of you, the part that's like God is with the Lord. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But your body remains in a grave. So there is a temporary separation. You're with the Lord, but your body is asleep. It's as if it's staying at a hotel, okay? It's resting for a season. And, and a hotel, when you go to a hotel, occasionally when you go to a hotel, I go to hotels a lot, you have to, you have to call and get a wake-up call. The rapture is a massive wake-up call for all those who are dead in Christ. And what happens is, though their spirit is with the Lord, their bodies aren't. And when that rapture takes place, all of a sudden, they will be revived and resurrected first before all those who are alive and remain right now, and they will be resurrected, and they will receive their resurrection bodies, and they will join God in the air when he touches down. He doesn't touch down. Before he touches down. Is everybody tracking with me? The, the dead in Christ, the Bible says, will rise first in, in verse chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's a source of hope for you who have lost loved ones who have gone before you. Paul is trying to encourage the church, and I'm trying to encourage you that those people are, who are with the Lord in spirit, but their bodies will be resurrected first. They'll get their glorified body before you and before me. Can you track with me on that? Winston Churchill, a great um, leader and also writer, um, many of you know who he is. He's a, he was an incredible um, um, leader in, our, in the world today. Um, and he, went, he planned his own funeral. He was a Christ follower. And when he planned his own funeral, as they were uh, in St. Paul's Cathedral, I believe, he had a trumpeter um, up in the trees outside. And so as they're putting his coffin into the ground, they played that military, famous military song, Taps. You guys know that? You know that? Not bad. Anyway, as they're going down, that's what would happen. It's a very reverent time. But then as the coffin hit the ground, the music changed, and another trumpeter came out and began to play that song Reveille. And it's basically... Remember that one? My dad used to do that to wake me up in the morning before school, and it was tormenting. But the, the, funeral, the funeral procession, all the people there were kind of like shocked. Like, what's, what, this is so different. What, he was trying to communicate a message that the same thing that uh, 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 was happening there, that he was going into the grave, he was going to that place of rest, that also he would one day, he would one day rise. There was a call to rest for a believer, but there will always be a call to rise. And that's what happens for every believer who has gone before us. There will be another time down the prophetic timeline when all, not necessarily believers first, but all will be judged at a later date. And that's somewhere in Revelation, which we won't talk about today. Number three, there'll be a rapture. Everybody say rapture. rapture. Are you enjoying this so far? It says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. There is no term rapture in the Bible, but the term is defined from this scripture, caught up. This is kind of in the Latin, rapido, it's kind of like that Spanish term we also have, but it's a little different. But it means seized, to snatch up, to be caught away. That's where this term rapture comes from. And so 
the rapture is really the next major event on the prophetic timeline or calendar of God for you and for me. But Jesus is saying, don't freak out. In fact, in John chapter 14, he, he tried to tell his disciples, don't get caught up in the dates and in the timelines, but get focused on the promise that I give you. In fact, in John 14, he says, you know, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he goes on to say, I prepare a place for you. Do you guys remember this text? And he says, I will come back and take you to be with me. That is referring to the rapture of Jesus Christ. The, the, this snatching away that would take place. This, it will happen in the Bible says the twinkling of an eye. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 51 it says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. So some of us will never go to sleep. Some of us and maybe our generation, maybe everybody in this room who's called upon the name of the Lord will never experience death. Will never go to sleep. All right, But it says, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Notice he doesn't say a blinking of an eye. It's that fast. A blink is much slower than a twinkling. A twinkling is when light just passes in a fraction of a second through your iris. That's how fast you'll be snatched away and be given your new resurrection body. And at that last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and the Bible says you will be changed. Can you imagine that, people? You know, one commentary said from, he said something like, from all the parts of the earth, you will have this tingling sensation pulsing through your bodies where you are suddenly energized, your physical deformity suddenly healed, blind eyes, deaf ears, lame being able to stand, elderly with wrinkles will be restored to their youth. No Votox. I just put that in myself. <laughs> <laughs> All these people will marvel at their physical transformation as it happens. As they leave their homes and go through their roofs, they'll be looking up and they'll be see ahead of them their loved ones who have gone before them, their grandparents that they love, their aunt that they thought was a real meanie. She'll be transformed, so she'll be nice now. And they'll see them, and then they'll see all their relatives, and they'll meet God in the air for just a brief and short, you know, a gathering, and then boom, they'll be snatched into eternity. Isn't that powerful? Now, you don't have to bother with the science on that because it's impossible to explain. It's simply supernatural. But there are prototypes and previews in the scriptures that we can see. And God always does this, by the way. But in Hebrews 11.5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken away from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because he had been taken away. We saw that with Enoch. In Acts chapter 8, verse 39, uh, Philip, it says, The Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Those previews show us what it will be like on a mass scale, a mass quantity, when the rapture takes place for the church of Jesus Christ. When you and I will receive our glorified bodies. How many can't wait for your glorified bodies? I'm telling you what. Yeah, you'll be able to eat whatever you want. No calories. I mean, it's going to be a great, great day when that takes place. Amen? All right, here's the final point. Number four, we will be reunited. Now, I desperately want to sing a song, Reunited, because it feels so good. Reunited, because you understood. But I won't do that right now. But uh, it seems sacrilegious. But after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord, what? Forever. This is a sweet reunion. 
This is what Paul is trying to encourage a church, a first century church. By the way, the first century church was under tremendous persecution and difficulty. And he's trying to tell them, don't be, def- don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, don't be filled with sorrow. Look what's ahead. Look what is coming. Expect something good. Death and destruction are not coming. New life is coming. The restoration of all things is coming. So every nasty aunt that wasn't transformed, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't nice to you, every mean relative will be nice. Now, all things are going to be made new. Amen? Three things that happen at the reunion. Look at, write this down. Dead bodies are reunited with their spirits. Dead bodies are reunited with their spirits. Resurrected believers are reunited with living believers. One big family reunion. And then raptured believers are reunited with the Lord forever. Man, this is a stunning picture of hope that the Apostle Paul is trying to give us in a world that is filled with difficulties and sorrow and trial. It's about life. It's about resurrection. It's about rapture. It's about reunion through Jesus Christ. It's a huge welcome home party. Is everybody with me? Let me, let me conclude with a couple of thoughts for you. One is personal, uh, and you guys can put your own story in there. I remember one of the most difficult separations was when my grandmother died. She was my closest, at the time, living relative. Marion, Grammy Fry, Mame, we used to call her. And um, when Grammy died, it was, it, was, it, was, it was like sweet sorrow because I knew she was going to be with the Lord, but at the same time, I was going to miss her tremendously. But what really impacted me was uh, watching my youngest child process this, Morgan. And I don't know if she'll remember this, but I remember talking to my daughter, and, and she, she, um, she was processing this whole thing, and she's like, Dad, what happened? I said, well, you know, you know, Grammy's passed, and she said, well, isn't Grammy going home now? And I can remember thinking, yes, and she says, are you going to miss her? And I said, yes, Dad's going to miss her a lot. She says, I'm going to miss her too. I'm going to definitely miss her a lot, but, but Daddy, I can't wait to see Grammy when I get to heaven. And I thought to myself, <laughs> that's my daughter's eschatology in just a few words. I can't wait to be with Grammy one day. I'm going to miss her, but I'm going to get to see her when I'm in heaven. And I want to say something to you as, as your pastor. You, as you grow in Christ, your eschatological view should become more simplified and more childlike. You just... It's going to be a reunion. I can't wait to be reunited with God again. I want to prepare myself for that day, and I want to make sure as many people as possible are going to be with me in that family reunion. For Christians, death is not the end. It's the beginning of birth pains and leads us to new life. That's supposed to make us hopeful, full of what? Hope. And Paul ends in verse 18, and he says this. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage yourselves and encourage one another with these words. All this talk about the last days is actually, from Paul's perspective, supposed to encourage a believer of what is yet to come. And if you show the timeline again for me, the whole thing, I want you to focus not on precise dates or sequences or or how these cataclysmic things are happening and all that kind of stuff. I really want you, whether you're, this has a leaning towards pre-tribulation, and I get that, and some of you may disagree with me on that, and that's okay, and I, I, I I can't say 100 to 100% that I'm right. I'm not even going to focus on that. My focus on the timeline is the last stage, eternity. I want to make sure that I'm there and everybody else I know is there with me. And all I know is that there are less days than there were before, and we're closer to the last days than we ever were before. And so you can be amillennial, you can be millennial, you can be post-millennial. Listen, the older I get, I get more simplified. I'm just pan-millennial. Do you know what that means? It means everything's going to pan out in the end. 
it's all going to pan out in the end. And so if you don't believe you're going to be taken up, you know, in the rapture, I plan on going on the first elevator. You can knock yourself out and go up a little bit later if you want to. But listen. I believe we need to focus on what God's focusing on. Is everybody tracking with me? And that is eternity. And all Christians believe that we'll spend eternity somewhere. But the question for those of you who haven't made that choice is, what are you waiting for? Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads right where you are? I want to pray for you. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Sir, man, boy, or girl listening online, watching on television today, maybe those of you that are in this room, do you know where you will spend eternity? That is the most important question on the planet Earth. This is a temporary assignment that we have on Earth. This is an incredible opportunity that you have to see what God is up to on the planet Earth today. What, Pastor D, would it take to be saved? I think you need to be like Morgan. I think you need to have that faith of a child. Or my daughter just loved her grandmother and she just wanted to be with her. You need to love God and just want to be with him. And if you love God and you want to be with him, you just need to surrender your life to Jesus right now where you sit. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to make sure I'm in, I'm in relationship with God. Yes, 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 all the way in the back. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Yes, I see you over there, the two, three of you over there. That's awesome. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. We could be raptured tomorrow. I'm not saying that in fear. I'm saying that in expectation. You want to be a part of that family reunion. And if you listen online, you respond to where, to, where, to where you are in your heart. And you say yes to God. And you raise your hand in your heart to God. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you say this? Jesus, save me right now. Come into my heart and in my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to be with you now and forever. Let me pray for you. This then is eternal life, John 17 tells us. This then is eternal life, that they might know me. Lord, they know you now because they invited you into their heart, and I pray that eternity begins for them now. And they're not focused on all the dates. They can't be certain. They can't have a precise date when he'll come, but they can have a precise date when they gave their life to Jesus. And on May 22nd, 2016, they can say, I was born again because of what happened at Connect Community Church in Jesus' name. And all the church said, amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big praise. Amen. <laughs>